Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. What's up, everyone? Lisa Fields here, and I'm so excited about our new curriculum, Courageous Conversations. You heard about our popular conference, Courageous Conversations, where we invite the leading pastors, thought leaders, and scholars from conservative and progressive backgrounds for conversations. But we not only want to have those conversations on stage at the conference, but we want you to have them in your everyday life. So we developed a curriculum for you to do just that. Courageous Conversations curriculum, the tools you need for the conversations and culture. You can get that today on Amazon or on our website at ju3project.org. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project, and I'm so excited to be joined by a special guest. He might should just be a co-host. He's been on here several times, uh, a part of our conferences. I mean, Rasul is an unofficial uh, co-laborer with G3 Project. So I'm so thankful to have you here. I accept that. Uh, (laughs) Rasul, tell our audience who haven't seen you, you were on, we released uh, the conversation we uh, had for the pastor's conference on the podcast a, a few weeks ago. So y'all have heard Rasul just a few weeks ago if y'all tracking with the podcast regularly. Um, but if they missed it, uh, just tell them a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, and I'm. it's just an honor for me to be here. Thank you for having me once again. So Rasul Berry uh, was uh, born and raised in Philly, um, but have lived for the last uh, seven years in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where I serve in two different roles. I wear a lot of different hats. Um, one, I teach, I'm the teaching pastor at the Bridge Church in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn's in the house. And I also work with our Daily Bread Ministries where I am a content developer and also work with partnerships, developing partnerships with black churches, ministries, folks like, and, and really Jew 3 is was like, when I took on that role last year, uh, Lisa, you know, you were like first person I called. I was even before I did, I was like, yo, this is, this would be an amazing partnership. And so it's been so cool to see that partnership develop with real content, you know, real things that we've done together. I got my, you know, Bisrat, you know what I mean? Uh, right yeah. here. Uh, and now I meant to bring out know, mine out, but I'm glad you have yours. <laughs> yes. Yes. I got mine right here. So, um, So, yeah, uh, that's a little bit about me. Um, My major was Africana Studies uh, in college. And so uh, I do have a podcast called Where You're From, where we really talk to um, uh, leaders at the intersection of faith and culture and really get their origin stories. Lisa was my first guest uh, um, on the podcast. So. uh, So, yeah, that's a lot about what I what I do and why I'm excited to talk about this newest project that we embarked on together.
Yes. Uh, Our Daily Bread has been a, 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 a fantastic partner. I mean, I think this is the most that we've done with a singular partner um, since Jew3 existence um, that we worked this closely together with. Um, and the partnership really formed. We announced the partnership uh, at Courageous Conversations last year. And I mean, I am amazed at how it's blossomed, what we've been able to do together and what we will be able to do in the future. Um, and so this was all really, like Rasul said, this was his his doing. Uh, I, I'm so thankful for him <laughs> uh, remembering me uh, when he took on this role and really being adamant, even in times where I was just like, overwhelmed with so many things, but just making sure he kept this before me um, to to really prioritize. So I'm thankful for you, Rasul, uh, because you've done exceedingly abundantly as it relates to uh, your work um, in this in this partnership. So you really carried it. So I thank thank you. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome, sis, and I'm grateful. That was a that was a very polite way of saying. And you kept nagging me until I said yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, it wasn't. That was very gracious. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm so thankful for you. So thankful to have you here discussing the Juneteenth Faith and Freedom um, documentary that dropped um, this week. Uh, just talk about, you know, just the, talk about how this documentary came to be, and then we'll get into some of the details mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Yes. So, and that's funny because it started with a conversation. So initially, um, our Daily Bread uh, has a, a imprint called The Voices Collection, uh, which amplifies the voices of black content creators and our stories. And so uh, prior to me coming on board with uh, our Daily Bread, Voices had already put out a uh, regular annual Black History Month devotional since about 2018. So just in the last few years. Um, so when I came on, we were talking about how can we expand that and, and to do something beyond the Black History Month devotional, which went really well, but what could we do more? And to me, Juneteenth, made sense for a lot of reasons one it was like nice little semi-annual project right you get june you get february so it was spaced out a little mm -hmm. bit but also because i just felt like it was such a compelling um story to unfold and develop and this was before we were we were planning this before it became a national holiday like um mm -hmm. so we already had planned to do a devotional booklet and then it's part of the expression of the partnership with Jude 3, I was like, well, what, hey, maybe Jude 3 can help contribute to the booklet. And and Lisa was like, what if, what if we did a film, too? And I was like, okay. So then I, you know, kind of incorporated that. And, um, you know, before I knew it, a few months later, uh, had a film proposal and it got accepted and we were on to the races. And I think specifically the reason why that was important is I think for a lot of us, like I'm from Philly, uh, I mentioned earlier, like, Pennsylvania Northeast, our story of emancipation is very different. Um, the Gradual Abolition Act of 1780 is when <laughs> slavery became uh, essentially or gradually you know, illegal in the U.S., I mean, in Pennsylvania. And so I didn't really grow up knowing about Juneteenth um, because that was a particular story of 
you know, the Civil War and all that. And so when I kind of started to dig into it, it was really amazing to me to see the, you know, what the story was, but then also the faith component of the story from the very beginning. And that really started when I found out that one of the early names, because uh, they called it Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, one of them was Jubilee Day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, Jubilee Day? And so that's when I said, I got to dig more into this and get really the story firsthand. And what what would it look like if we went to Galveston, Texas, where the whole story started and just went there and got the story from firsthand from people whose descendants or whose ancestors they are descended from. And so that was the vision of the story. And then it just kept growing from there. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. And one of the things, you know, I was just teasing with you before we recorded it's like when I said when you when we were talking about the devotional and I said we should do a film, I really I just said it, but I didn't really think it was going to happen. Like I just I just threw it out there <laughs> and, and you literally took me seriously and ran with it <laughs> and then reached out and was like, OK, we got approval. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> like the, the film. <laughs> So I, so I you think say stuff and I'm like, yo, Lisa said, you know, <laughs> she's the expert. So I was like, she just, she just blew up the game. I was like, okay. She said, if you want to mess with Jude three, you got to get your weight up and do a film. <laughs> and then forgot she said it, but Hey, maybe flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but the Lord, but um, regardless, it was, it was the right call. It was a great idea. And I'm glad that we, we went ahead and went through with it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to assume that our listeners know about Juneteenth. Just tell our audience sure. the significance of, of Juneteenth. Yes, absolutely. So um, essentially, most of us grew to believe or were taught in some way that if we were to say, when did slavery in in the United States, many people would either say, would probably say the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Abraham Lincoln wrote and signed the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which came into effect January 1st, 1863, and ended slavery in America, and then the Civil War was over, and then everybody was free. Um, but if you, but that was never fully the truth, like the accurate story. It just is kind of this version that many of us understood. So essentially what happens, because people forget the Emancipation Proclamation is written and conceived of during the Civil War. So already the Confederacy had broke off from the U.S. Ostensibly, no matter how they try to, people try to argue, it was about slavery. Like, if you look at the documents of secession, secession that each of the states wrote, that it's clear that they have a beef with thinking they have a divine right to own black people. And so that's why they are fighting for their right to, for, you know, the state's rights to own slaves. So anyhow, um, so with that, the reason why that's important is because that move in that war means that at the time, Lincoln, at the time of the start of the war, Lincoln was not, the Civil War was not fought over, like, like Lincoln's like, y'all got to end slavery. It was actually fought because the South, then the Confederacy seceded from the Union over the issue of slavery and mm-hmm. the in the in the union like you can't just do that and so but in the midst of all this carnage and death 
um, there does become a point of moral clarity where uh, Lincoln recognizes for both strategic and philosophical reasons that he has to be more clear and definitive of basically saying slavery is over. And so he writes the Emancipation Proclamation, which only uh, emancipates or declares the emancipation of enslaved people of the Confederacy. So there were states that were slaveholding states like Kentucky or Delaware that did not join the Confederacy. And so the Emancipation Proclamation was not meant to free them, like because they weren't in rebellion. It was only for the states who were in rebellion. And there were a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one, from to have the moral high ground and the clarity Two, to also allow these, you know, incentives for these, you know, black people to come on as soldiers. Three, from the international conversation to kind of get the upper hand and support because slavery by that point had fallen out of favor. But for all of those reasons, Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. But again, it's January 1st, 1863. It's not like the, the states in the Confederacy slave owners in Alabama are like, oh, dag, because he signed it. Now I got to let y'all go. It was like, no. So many of them, what they did, because they were fearing the North and the fact that they were in the war up along the East during seaboard, especially, they migrated to go as far away as they could get from the Union, which at that point would have been Texas. Um, and so a lot of slave owners ended up forcefully migrating their enslaved people to Texas, um, as well as, of course, the people in Texas, which were very much, they had just actually fought a war against Mexico, in part because they wanted to stay a slaveholding uh, entity and Mexico was moving toward emancipation as the as their, you know, kind of uh, basic principle. And so all that means is that the refusal of those in the Confederacy to let go slaves because the Emancipation Proclamation was signed meant that it had to be enforced. And mm -hmm. so that enforcement happens when the Union continues to win and take, you know, land and, and, and emancipate. They become a freedom force. And uh, but the furthest outpost of that journey, you know what I mean, is Texas, where there was still a war fought. So Link, uh, General Robert E. Lee um, surrenders at Appomattox in April of 1865. They're still fighting in Texas in May of 1865. And then General Granger comes from the Union forces with a battalion of uh, a, a colored troops, as they call them. Uh, but, and and they basically come to Galveston, uh, which was the major port um, in the biggest city in Texas at the time, to say, it's over. Y'all got to let these folks go. Um, and they had the ability to enforce that. And that happened on June 19th, 1865, when they arrived in Galveston. And um, there was great rejoicing because now all of a sudden there were these troops that was basically a freedom force allowing their liberation. And that happened two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And I love, one of the things I love about, uh, that was said in the documentary was, um, I can't remember who said it, but I think it's Carrie, uh, what's his name? Lattimore. Uh, yeah. Lattimore, yeah. Carrie Lattimore. And, yeah. And uh, Dr. Lattimore was saying, he was like, you they've been enslaved their whole life they've never seen black people in authority and then they see these black soldiers 
coming to liberate them. Like what a sight to not see yourself represented as a leader or anything other than a slave. And then a troop of black soldiers come to say, you're free now. Like that is such a powerful image. One that I, I'm, I'm yes. fighting to get uh, illustrated <laughs> somewhere. Uh, so if y'all are dope illustrator that's watching this, please <laughs> get that, uh, that anim animation to us ASAP because that is amazing. Yeah, no, that was definitely powerful. And I didn't, and that was where going there uh, and learning some of the details. So y'all, just to give you a picture, because this was the picture that Dr. Lattimore painted for us that was like, wow. Because I didn't know what the population of Galveston was. So he's like, the population of Galveston was at most 10,000 people. And he's like, 6,000 troops showed up on this island <laughs> of 10,000 people. <laughs> right. And of those 6,000 troops, like 4,000 of them were black. So, I mean, it's just an extraordinary image to imagine. So it was a moment. It was like a wave of this, this of freedom that swept mm -hmm. over that place. And all of a sudden, because of the, you know, because essentially slavery is about control and force, that now you have a freedom entity with more force than the people that are holding you. And then they look like you and they're like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it was an amazing moment to kind of hear that description and that depiction play itself out and go like, wow, you can feel the jubilation coming out now. Now you're like, yo, that was like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, I'm free now. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things I love about the documentary, and I'm glad uh, you you wrote it like this because you were the, the writer um, on the documentary uh, as well, uh, producing, writing, and and uh, chronicling the story, being <laughs> telling the story through interviews, um, which you did a phenomenal job at, is you made sure not to just tell the story of Juneteenth and stop it there. We walk people mm, through what happened yeah. post-Juneteenth and how it impacts today. And then we talk about Opal Lee and Juneteenth becoming a holiday. It walks you through, like, the impact of it, but also the what is what the lingering effects. And when you were talking to Reverend Lattimore, I believe that's his name. Was that yep. Reverend Lattimore? The AME pastor. Uh, Dr. Lattimore, yeah. Abundant Life. Oh, um, AME. Pastor Michael Waters. Michael Waters. Michael Waters. I'm sorry, I'm confusing the two. But yeah. uh, Pastor Mike was talking about um, like lynching um, and you made a distinction on, I'm, no, talking about KKK, you made a distinction. You're like, these dates are not coincidence. The rise of mm. the KKK and uh, the um, Juneteenth. Like there was, there was, there's not, not an accident. And I was just so, I, I think I was just like, it hit me in that moment, like that, the evilness and deception, the, the level of evil and deception um, as it relates to the KKK is tied to the Christian connection they made, um, which yeah. was the Methodist minister saying that the angels were celebrating at what they were doing. And it was just like, right. what are you talking about? What level right. of deception, you know? And it made me think about the scripture, even the, enemy can transform himself to an angel of light. So he's always mm -hmm. 
imitating what's true to deceive those who are open to deception. And so it just was, it was an interesting thought that these people thought that they were motivated by God to do this great evil to our ancestors. And that has really, Mm. um, interesting and harmful implications to black and brown people today who are struggling with Christianity. Yeah, no, that definitely, uh, you know, was a thread that wove itself throughout. Let me tell you, we, um, this is, this didn't make the film because we got there in February. Um, we went to Austin to, cause the director who was amazing, Yaki Smith, y'all, he's up and coming. Yeah, dude, he's incredible. But um, he's a, you know, he teaches out there. So we, we met in February. And so I found out that the uh, there's a monument, a brand new kind of, it's called Emancipation Monument, I think, that's right there at the Capitol. And it has these this beautiful, like, bronze statue of, like, these people holding the Emancipation Proclamation with chains, like, falling off. And, and it's just a powerful thing. And that's what we came there for. And then as I was looking at it, I kind of just turned to my right and I see this majestic statue of like, I mean, it was enormous at the foot of the uh, Capitol in Austin and had this horse and this person on the horse. And I was like, wow, what is this? I mean, it was just this super grand thing that caught my eye. So then I walk over to it and it says, you know, to the soldiers of the Confederacy who gave their lives defending the Constitution of the United States of America. And it was Jefferson Davis on the statue. And I was like, what? Like, I literally came here to look at this <laughs> emancipation <blown>. statue. <laughs> I'm looking at this big grand thing and it's like Jefferson Davis and it's like giving him a shout out for defending the Constitution. And I was like, this is wild. I can't believe it. So then this I was like, oh, gosh, Americans. I got to wait. Hold on. So then I got to shake that off. And I see another statue like further closer to the Capitol building that also has like it looks interesting, different colored. also has somebody on a horse. So I'm like, all right, let me go check this out. See what this story is. Let me not get stuck here on Jefferson Davis. Look at the other one. It's another monument to Confederate troops. But this one using explicit like Christian language about them serving their sacred duty and that the divine. And I was like, so wait. In this same space, I have the Emancipation Monument, which is all the way at the bottom of the hill. You got the Confederate in the two major ones. And then I was like, man, it's just embedded and literally chiseled in granite and marble are these lies and these deceptions. And I think it's a reflection of how these stories are so chiseled in the heart of the country and the mythology of the country and that mythology is one in which you talk about deception. And I think that's such an important, you know, word because the reality is that the people could be self-deceived. Sometimes people just use the powerful language of, of the Bible and the scriptures to justify themselves. So it's not like, not everybody is like, yo, I really believe this. They just like, it's convenient, right. To, Mm -hmm. to talk about it in that way. Um, Some probably do have, you know, they've been raised to believe that and they do. And yet at the same time, what you find for as ugly and as dark as that is, mm-hmm. what you find is the contrast to that, that these folks who were in bondage and who were subjected to this inhumanity and to this injustice are actually also leaning on this faith and this and praying to the God 
the same who by name <laughs> their um ex oppressors are calling on but they're calling on on this god and knowing and critiquing the the point of view or at least the language or at least the mythology that they're being uh that they're being kind of ex challenged to accept and that's where there's the scene that um you know where you mentioned the slave bible and the use of that is such an important story because you have this book in which they took out all like they tried to take out all liberation passages so that folks wouldn't get any idea and it's like so when people say well the bible is just is makes people docile and makes them support their own oppression it's like well then why they go through the whole effort of taking out like 90 percent of the old testament like you would think if that's all it took is that you give them as much bible as you can let them read everything but it, it didn't because and it's obvious and it's clear you know what i mean from them calling harriet tubman moses to you know what uh you know frederick Douglass writes and others and so but but the point is it's one thing learning about that in history and talking about it in mm -hmm. abstraction it's another thing to talk to the people who literally kept that story alive so you mentioned um why we felt like we had to keep telling the story because literally what happens is after granger and this is another misnomer so he goes in june 19th is when he arrives in galveston but it takes him another day to get to Houston, June 20th. So, and then they just kind of continue to go throughout Texas, right? Texas is big. And mm -hmm. so in the midst of that, it's like, well, what do people do next? And so because of the leadership and the legacy of a man named Reverend Jack Yates, who anybody in Houston knows that name off top because he built the church six months after they started the church, six months after Juneteenth. So January 1st, 1867. And then, I mean, 1866, and then they get to work with building schools, um, economic uh, empowerment opportunities. He gets together other people to buy Emancipation Park, which still stands right there to this day is this place where black people can kind of come together and, and they have a museum and they have a whole center, a rec center now. Um, and all of that stuff happens as a result of him learning how to read the scripture. Ironically, when he was enslaved, he was playmates with the the master's son and they would play games and the part of one of the games they played is like let's play school and so they would teach <laughs> each other how to read and so he starts to fall in love with the scriptures as a result of learning how to read and it opens up his mind to freedom and he says this is the way that we have to empower our people and that's the amazing story so that that makes it more tangible right that's not just like someone rejected the slave bible that's like reverend jack yates starting like freedman's town in Houston mm -hmm. to to really empower people in a very tangible way. Yeah. And I, I love that we got to highlight contributions of the black church, because as as we've heard several times, there's this narrative that the black church was harmful to the community, um, to the black community and mm. are the source of our problems and that the the fact that we're worshiping this white Jesus, which was also touched on, I don't want to give too much of the documentary away, but I, I want to kind of do broad strokes about like the church really, if it had not been for Jack Yates and the church and his commitment, not, not only to the souls being saved, but for the holistic salvation, where would Houston be for a black community today? Like Tennessee, uh, no, Texas, is it Texas Southern? 
Texas Southern by University. Him. Yes, no. yeah, Texas Southern University was yep. started by Jack Yates in part. And so it's like the church is undergirding this movement and giving direction on what to do next. Now that we're liberated, next steps. This is what we need to do economically. This is what we need to do educationally. And it, it's the church. And it's somebody who is who is convicted. He has a strong conviction about scripture and about the gospel, but he also knows that there are social implications to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, the interesting thing as someone who just, we just wanted to get the story right. Like we just wanted to get the story right. And, and, and we were going to let that lead where it, it went. And so we just kind of started to pull on the thread. So for instance, um, I was just Googling, like when I was doing the research, just like Juneteenth and, and, and I came upon this um, Zoom presentation by Sharon Gillins, who we see and we meet in Galveston on the film. And then you discover, now again, I'm just trying to learn about Juneteenth. I'm like, I don't know why she's at this church called Reedy Chapel, and I don't know why she's explaining. Turns out that when the announcement is made at the courthouse, of Galveston, the people just spontaneously make their way to, to Reedy Chapel and start having a praise break in a worship session. And it's like, oh, so this is where the first Juneteenth celebration takes place. Okay. So then it's like, well, what happens next? Well, most of them, many people go to Houston. And why do they go to Houston? Because this dude named Reverend Jack Yates helps start Freedman Town. Well, why does he do that? Because he believes in the holistic message of the gospel. Okay, well, let me just try to talk to Miss Opal Lee, who's this grandmother of Juneteenth. So then I, you know, I'm like, I don't think, I don't know nothing about her other than she's just this incredibly vivacious 95-year-old. Come to find out, her whole journey gets started because folks at her church encouraged her to do something about her passion for Juneteenth. And so they prayed over her and she left the church and walked two and a half miles, you know, at 89 years old. And people started to follow that. And so I'm like, Everywhere we went, it was just these stories of how faith and freedom were combined, which is why we were like, we got to call this faith and freedom, because the two of these are so connected in ways that I had no idea and wasn't really even looking for. I was just trying to get the story right. And it just turned out this was the story. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And for those who weren't in the process, this really was a miraculous move of God for this whole thing to happen. I mean, I don't even know when I said we should do a documentary, but it was not even a year <laughs> that we, <laughs> no, we didn't, it was like, I don't know. Was that January when I said it that? was like, nah, nah, it was like August, September. It was right okay, before yeah, Courageous Conversations. Courageous, Cause yeah. I remember we were putting together the proposal and so I ended up putting it there, but then it just didn't do anything because we were working on other stuff, the podcast and stuff like that for a couple months so it wasn't until like put it this way y'all it wasn't until december right before christmas break that it was like okay we got the green light to do it so literally starting in january <laughs> the you yes. know first second week of january is when we started to run on this get a, a director in february start shooting in march editing in april and may put it out the first week in june <laughs> and the crazy thing about this I remember when I was on set in Houston and Yaki, the director who did a phenomenal job, shout out to Yaki. Um, he was like, they're editing as like, they're already <laughs> editing it. Like while we're on set. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like, 
It's like, yeah, we got to get this out. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a very fast turnaround. Like, we just shot this in March, um, literally. And it is June, and it's out. And it is a stellar production. Like, this isn't in, like, no skimp on quality. And it's just, it was the hand of God. Like, how all this. Amen. Every time you called me and was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get some this person, it all came together. Like, I remember when you were able to confirm Opal, um, and it was just like, you were so excited. And honestly, I didn't really know who she was yet, so I couldn't be as excited. (laughs) (laughs) You were telling me who she was, but it didn't register until I saw her tell her story. And I was like, Hmm. now it all made sense. Um, And so it's like... (laughs) It was, it's just amazing when I'm looking at it. I looked at it again last night and I was just like, wow, God, this is like your hand. Like, mm. could not have imagined that it would come out this great. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely, you know, I, I, I see the same thing. I mean, just living it. And I mean, and all the different pieces kind of come together. And I want to say this because I just think it's important, right? Like the fact that, Part of the thing is like, people don't know what to do. Like, all right, it's Juneteenth, now what? Like, what does that mean? Like, what is, you know, one, why are we celebrating that? What is the significance of that? And then two, how do you actually do it? Because mm-hmm. now those, those in Texas, they got a head start. They like, cause they started it. So like barbecue, you know, red pop, red soda, you know what I mean? The whole, they know they do things. But for many of us outside of that context, we wanted to give people tools and resources to and th- in, in, in a, a framework, a vision for thinking about this really as a form of what they say, like catechesis, right? Like, mm-hmm. like how we what we do with our time, like I, I, the more you start learning about church history and and just the, the calendar, we just take calendar dates for assumption, like we just kind of take it for granted. But what you mark in time matters. So the fact that July 4th is such a big deal is like, yes, it's our country's birthday, the Declaration of Independence. Like, this is what that means, right? And the fact that there was never a day to actually sit and reflect on the end of slavery in the country is what was a glaring miss. And especially because, and here's the key, this is the, the like, giving you the nuggets the key and the reason why we didn't stop on the day of June 8, 19th, 1865 is because the story and the struggle of freedom continued as evidenced by the fact that they had to be told <laughs> two and a half years later and had to be enforced two and a half years later. So that same resistance to their freedom that caused that extra 900 days of mm-hmm. enslavement did not end when that uh when that particular moment happens it continues on uh for the next century and a half and so we get the opportunity to reflect on that we get the opportunity to um to think about the implications today in the midst of racial injustices that still occur and um and 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 actually think about what we should do about it in in the moment and so uh that's an important first step but then the other piece is to recognize that what honoring this day gives us an opportunity to see 
how God cares about the whole person, the mind, the body, and the soul. Mm -hmm. And Juneteenth is a reflection of that. And that's what we think is such an important, uh, why it's so important for us to take advantage of this opportunity to really help encourage and equip uh, the body of Christ and the world with how to think about this day and how to celebrate it. So watch a film, have conversations about the the good and the bad, the, the painful and the sad, as well as the joyful and the exuberant, like have those conversations, talk about what you didn't know, talk about what you had to learn, talk about the, the tensions that exist right now. Because uh, one of the people we talked to in the film, he says in the Texas school books today, they run it like, they like the slave owners just didn't know about the, you know, emancipation proclamation. And it's like, that's not what happened. Um, they knew, in fact, there were, and again, I didn't notice until I talked to him and he did all this history and literally wrote a book on myths about the day. And was like, there were they, the emancipation proclamation was mentioned over 125 times in newspapers in Texas. You know what I mean? People knew they didn't care. They mocked it. You know what I mean? And so, when I think about voting rights and, and, and what Dr. King in, in the civil rights era was talking about, about the check bounced, right? Um, insufficient funds, the check mm -hmm. that was written in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and even the Emancipation Proclamation, because that was the whole point of them marching 100 years later in 1963 to talk about what didn't f get fulfilled in 1863. And now when we think about, you know, violence, you know, state violence against black bodies, when we think about the disparities that continue to still exist, when we think about the ways the church still has blinders um, to some of these spaces or some of these realities, it's still important to keep that story alive so that we can learn from it. What the scriptures say in second, was it first or second Corinthians chapter 10? I think it's first Corinthians that these things happened for us as an example so that we can learn. And I think that same posture toward history, these things happen as an example, we can then be discipled into understanding what it is that history can teach us about being faithful to the whole gospel and the whole kingdom and being unfaithful to those things. And I think in ways in which the church has been both um, and our country has been both faithful and unfaithful, taking a real hard look at that helps us to understand what we should do today so that we can be inspired by the right examples and also be warned by the wrong ones. Mm -hmm. That's a good place. I think to end it, you summed it up beautifully. Um, there <laughs> is, uh, um, you know, you just, y'all stay tuned. If, if this is how we got started with our partnership, uh, no telling what God has in store, uh, going further, uh, and so I'm excited, thankful for our daily bread, thankful for you, Russell. Um, and this is an amazing project. I think it's going to, I don't know exactly how God's going to use it, but I know that he's going to use it in ways that we didn't even imagine. Um, exceedingly and abundantly. Yeah. Heavy on the Ephesians 3.20. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so thank God for you. How can people get in touch with you? Yes. So, well, for the film, you can go to Juneteenth.experiencevoices.org uh, to see the film. And y'all, it's not just a film. You can sign up for the digital reading plan. We got the 10 day devotional. So we still did that. And shout out to George Moore from Jew3 who contributed to it. And um, Brandon. We Please still do. have. 
Brandon, Brandon Cleaver too. Thank you very yeah. much. Yep, yep. And uh, and so we have the devotional. We have the film. We got music that's starting to come out uh, next week, um, June fifteenth. We start releasing songs. Some of the stuff on the album includes Show Baraka, Lecrae, some gospel. We got the whole thing covered. It's amazing. A whole project soundtrack. Some yeah. of the uh, songs are captured in the in the in the in the film. And uh, we also, Lisa and I are teaming up for why June, why the church should care about Juneteenth or why Juneteenth matters to the church. It's a Christianity Today and Our Daily Bread, um, you know, connection, collaboration. Uh, June 13th, um, wait, June 15th. Yeah, this will have already One o'clock central to, okay, oh, okay, yeah. never mind. So <laughs> in any case, yeah, we have a lot going on. And uh, you can still, you know, uh, stay in touch with me on Twitter at Russell Berry, um, Facebook, Instagram, Russell B. And, uh, and, you know, stay in touch because I, I, we got a lot more coming for you, especially with the Jew 3 partnership. So thanks so much for having us, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you all for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. Remember, Courageous Conversations is coming up September 2nd and 3rd. Early bird registration has passed. Uh, it is virtual and in-person. This year's theme is Scholar and Skeptic. We're going to be answering questions um, like, is there a God? Is Christianity bad for uh, um, the LGBTQI community? Is Christianity bad for our, our uh, emotional health, our mental health? I mean, we're going out there with the topics this year to really meet where culture is and engage where the skeptic is on a day-to-day -day level. And so you want to join us either in person or virtually. Don't sleep on the in-person. Last year we sold out of in-person tickets. We had a limited number because of COVID, but now the whole thing is open and I think we're going to sell out again. So y'all don't sleep. Get those tickets early. Virtual tickets. We have as many as the Lord will allow online. So you could join us online and we're excited about that. You could get Courageous Conversations the curriculum here um or through eyes of color so uh this one talks about um, um engaging the questions this christianity white man's religion white jesus all of that the top apologetic question in the black community and this one is more on cultural questions is jesus the only way um is there such thing as truth uh what the bible says about the lgbtqia community so um get both of them if you already have one get the other um, and if you already have both, get some from a friend. Remember, you can support the G3 Project at g3project.org. Hit the donate tab to give online or give by mail. Um, remember here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Until next time, grace and peace and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged 
in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.